Hello. It's, uh, it's good to be here. Uh, I have come once to Tri-City before, about five years ago, to help with a youth thing. I think we ran scooters around the hallways, and I haven't been back since. So uh, it's great to be back, though. My primary points of connection with your church are through Tim and David, uh, and they speak very highly of, of you as a congregation. So when Matt emailed me on Thursday to see if I would come and preach, uh, I was very excited. It was made easier by the fact that he said I could kind of have a choice of text wasn't trying to prepare a sermon in two days for a series I was not a part of before then. So he was very kind in allowing me to do that. So I'm very excited to be here. We will be, and yes, the, the numbers may be confusing, not in First Peter 2, but we will be in Second Peter 1. So you can begin to turn there if you have a Bible. I'll have most of the key scriptures up on the screen that we'll be looking at. So as you begin to turn there, uh, we, we shall begin. Uh, if you have a kid, if you used to be a kid, so I've covered everyone in the room, uh, you know that kids are very good at getting their questions answered in the way they want them answered. Uh, growing up, my parents got us a video game system, a GameCube, cutting edge at the time, uh, and to try and make sure that we didn't spend all of our childhood playing video games, they put some pretty clear time limits on how much we could play. But sometimes, you know, you're getting to the end of the, the level you're working on or the end of the game that you're playing, and you just need a couple extra minutes to finish that level. And, and I knew that I had to be very careful about which parent I asked for a little bit of extra time. Uh, I would not want to ask the parent who I knew had a, a list of chores for me to do as soon as I was done playing the game. Uh, if one of my parents was upset with one of my siblings, depending on how upset they were and about what, I, I might choose to go and ask that parent, because they'd look at me in light of the, the sibling that they're really mad at and be more likely to be like, oh, sure, delightful Levi, you can have five more minutes. Uh, this is also why kids love it when their grandparents are around. Uh, grandparents love to say yes to their grandkids. But this isn't just something that, that kids do. This is something that, that you and I continue to do throughout much of our lives. Uh, perhaps there are managers or supervisors at your workplace that you're less likely to approach with certain questions because you know the answer they're likely to give you is not the one that you're looking for. Or you know that there are certain friends that you have that you won't go to for certain kinds of advice because you know their thoughts on the topic already and they're not likely to say what you're hoping to hear. This is a way of approaching the world that is normal for many of us. And unfortunately, this is also the way that many of us approach the scriptures. If you've read the Bible in, in any length, you'll know that there are certain uh, writers of the scriptures, certain genres, certain chapters, certain sections, even individual verses that just resonate with you at a heart level. They, they are the places, the passages that you love to return to time and time again because they say things that, that warm your heart or, or remind you of good truths. And this is good. This is excellent, in fact. But at the same time, if you've read your Bible for any length of time, you know that there are then passages that don't as easily do that for you. There, there are passages which, which say things that you and that I are less excited to hear. Things about marriage, things about human sexuality, things about money, things about submission, things about all kinds of loving your enemies. The scriptures will say things that are hard to hear. And what that ends up leading to in most of our Bible readings is either we avoid the parts of Scripture that are going to say things which are hard for us to hear, or when we come across them in our normal Bible reading, we'll skim on by, not give them much weight in our thinking, not give them much time in our minds. The problem, 
that that raises for us then is, is that what we are effectively saying is that I know the scriptures are necessary for me as I follow after Jesus, but I know which parts are actually necessary for me. I know what parts of the Bible I need in order to follow Jesus well. This is a very normal way of approaching the scriptures for many of us, to maybe to differing extents, but we all do it at some level. Second Peter is a book Peter is writing. It's a letter Peter is writing towards the end of his life. Peter knows he is about to die soon. And as there are these churches that he's helped oversee and start and maintain and, and guide forward, these are, in effect, his closing words to many of these churches. And as he looks ahead to what's coming their way, suffering, difficulty, op- opposition to the faith that they belong to, Peter is going to commend to them all of the scriptures for the rest of their Christian lives. So that, that is going to be what we are going to learn from 2 Peter 1, verses 16 to 21, that we need the whole Bible for the rest of our Christian lives. And as we read these verses, we're going to see Peter give three reasons why that is the case. He's going to say that the, the whole Bible is all about Jesus, the whole Bible is like a lamp in a dark place, and that the whole Bible is from God. So those are the three reasons why we need the, all of the scriptures for the rest of our Christian lives. So we'll begin by looking at how the Bible is all about Jesus, looking at verses 16 to 19, the first part of verse 19 in 2 Peter 1. So you can turn there, it'll be on the screen as well. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Peter's doing some complex things in this section. Even if it seems clear at a very straightforward reading, once we begin to look at it, we'll see he's actually doing something a little bit technical. And so this first point will require a little bit more explanation, but you guys are here at the 10 o'clock service, which means it's basically midday for you. So I trust that you'll be able to keep up with me for the first point. And then when we get into the next two, it should be very easy to keep up with once you've done the hard work of listening early. So I'll do my best to explain clearly and at a pace that works uh, because what Peter is saying here is very important. He begins to make his point how the whole Bible is all about Jesus by recounting a story that that might be familiar to you if you've read especially the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament before. He he recounts here what we call the transfiguration event, which is uh, recorded in greater depth in in a passage like Mark 9, but he gives a quick summary of it here. So I'll quickly summarize for us as well, and then we'll see what he's doing with the story in this section. So the transfiguration happened when when Jesus took three disciples with whom he developed more significant and close relationships with him, Peter, James, and John, up a mountain. When they were up there, Jesus' clothes were transformed to be blindingly white. Moses and Elijah appeared there with them, two heroes of the Jewish faith, and they all together heard the voice of God the Father saying of Jesus, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. This is the story that Peter is recounting. But in his letter, his goal is not just to remind you of the story. He is telling you the story again to teach you something. And the reason that I stopped in the first part of verse 19 is because he states the conclusion that we are to leave this story that he's reminding us of with. 
He says we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. So because, because that statement is the conclusion we're supposed to arrive at at the end of this transfiguration retelling, we're going to spend a little bit of time thinking about what he means by that point. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. So, so first, what Peter means by prophetic word, that was a normal way of referring to what we call the Old Testament scriptures. All of the Hebrew Bible at that point. The New Testament hadn't yet been written, so when he says prophetic word, he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. And a, a prophetic word, you might be familiar with that concept, but it's basically a, a message that follows a certain formula. It follows a certain pattern where, where there's a message that God wants to relate to his people. And the way in which he does so is he speaks to a messenger, someone who, who will write or speak the message to his people. That's the normal God, messenger, people pattern of a prophetic word. And that is actually not that hard to see how the scriptures fit into that category. These are, these are people who spoke from God to God's people. So the Old Testament scriptures are this prophetic word. So something about this transfiguration story teaches us something about the Old Testament. That's basically the argument Peter is making. And what it teaches us about the Old Testament is the last part of that phrase, that it is more fully confirmed. Part of the reason I want to slow down here is because we might make assumptions about that word confirmed that are different than what Peter would. See, when we hear that, we, what we think is, well, before the transfiguration event, the Old Testament wasn't really that trustworthy. The Old Testament wasn't, wasn't really that reliable. It wasn't really a thing that should be that important to our lives as Christians. But now that this transfiguration has happened, now it's important for us. But, but that's because we have a set of assumptions that is very different than the set of assumptions Peter and his readers would have had. See, see Peter was Jewish. And Jewish people were so committed to their Old Testament scriptures that, that when Jesus showed up and claimed to be the one whom the Old Testament was pointing ahead to, the anticipated Savior, the Son of God, they didn't, they didn't, when they saw a gap between who Jesus said he was and their understanding of the Old Testament, they didn't reject their Old Testament and cling to Jesus as their Savior. They, they rejected Jesus. And they clung instead to their interpretation of their Old Testament. So, so Peter would not have in any sense even dreamed of saying that now the Old Testament is important. Now the Old Testament is relevant. He already believed it was. So, so he must be talking about something different than the reliability or the trustworthiness of the Old Testament. And, and instead, what he is talking about is how we ought to interpret the Old Testament. Our understanding of the Old Testament is now more fully confirmed because of this transfiguration event. And the way that we arrive at, at that conclusion is by returning to the transfiguration story again. So, so who all was present there? We, we had God the Father speaking to Jesus the Son. We had Peter, James, and John there, and also Moses and Elijah. When Moses and Elijah are referred to together, Moses and Elijah, the, the other kind of verbiage that the scriptures use is the law and the prophets. Moses representing the law Elijah representing the prophets, they together summarize the whole authorship of the Old Testament. And so what we can see happening at the transfiguration is not just God giving a fatherly affirmation to Jesus, his son. Yes, he was speaking about Jesus, but he was speaking to, in a sense, Moses and Elijah. So when he says, this is my son, listen to him, he is telling Moses and Elijah that Jesus is the son of God. 
And this is important because, yes, at one level, Moses and Elijah spoke about the remarkable ways God worked in and through them in their lifetimes. Moses wrote a lot about the Exodus and that dramatic saving work of God. Elijah had his own set of stories about how God had worked miraculously in later times. But ultimately, they were both looking ahead to the point at which God would intervene in a total kind of way to completely redeem his people from the sin that they were mired in. And what the transfiguration event teaches us is that anticipated deliverance they were waiting for comes to us in the person of Jesus. So in that way, everything that Moses and Elijah, the whole Old Testament anticipated, comes to pass in Christ. The whole Old Testament is about Jesus. But it, but it doesn't just stop there because the, the apostles were also present. And so this, for Peter, he looks back at as his, his commissioning, in a sense. Much of what the New Testament writers would go on to demonstrate was how Jesus fulfilled the hope, the promises, the prophecies of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we have people being prepared for the arrival of Jesus. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus revealed. And we see it, it explained for all of these new churches what it means then to follow this long-expected Savior. So in this way, the Old and New Testament speak together with one voice. They are all about Jesus. Uh, this isn't how you and I tend to think about how old and new things relate, though. Uh, many of us uh, have iPhones. I don't, but I know most people do. I have Androids for various reasons. I'm not better than you. Let's just put it that way. Um, but so many of our contracts will allow us to upgrade to a phone just months after we got the new phone. Right? We, have, we have upgrades built into our contracts where you're, you're basically just continually paying your phone bill plus the additional cost of a new phone on top of it. Because we look at new and say that it replaces old. We look at innovation and say what, what came before is now obsolete. We look at something new and assume that it's better than the thing that came before. So too it is with the way many of us approach our scriptures. We say we don't really need the Old Testament because now we have Jesus. But what Peter is saying is that you need all of it because it's all about Jesus. Second uh, Timothy 3.15 talks about how the, the Old Testament scriptures will prepare you, will make you wise for salvation in Jesus. The Old and New Testament speak with one voice. They're just at two different times. One points ahead it gets you ready for what Christ would come to fulfill. And the other explains how he did that. You need the whole Bible because it's all about Jesus. This doesn't sound that wild until we start to think about some of the difficult passages we're going to come across in our scriptures. There, there are lots of stories in our Old Testaments that are hard for us in 21st century Tri-City area to wrap our minds around. There, there are things that are difficult either because they're, they're so obscure and far off from where we are, or because our, our understandings of things are different in the present. But, but I would challenge you, as you're reading your Bible and you come across these difficult passages, or maybe these have been passages you've wrestled with for years, that if you read them with the goal of seeing how they prepare you for faith in Christ, how, how the author intends to point you ahead to what God would do in Jesus, that there is great fruit to be found in every passage of scripture. And when you get to those places where, where it seems beyond your depth to understand, you have incredible Bible teachers at your disposal all the time. You, you have Matt, you have Tim, you have Dave, you have Lynette, you have people who want you 
to open your Bible and understand it and see how it helps you obey, follow, and love Jesus. And they get a lot of boring emails every week. They would love to be interrupted by an email that says, help me with this difficult passage. They, they would love to walk with you in those things. And you can trust that as you approach all parts of Scripture, even the weird and obscure and difficult parts, that in them you will be ready and made ready for salvation in Jesus. You will see good and true things in all the Scriptures because it's all about Jesus. That's Peter's first reason why you need the whole of the Bible, because it points you to Jesus. That's a little bit of the, the content of the Scriptures, why, why what's in the Bible matters for us. Peter is then going to turn, for his second reason, to talk about the, the function of the Scriptures. What do the Scriptures do for us as people who follow after Jesus in our present days? And he says they are like a lamp in a dark place. So let me read verses, just verse 19 for us. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter begins this reason with, a, with an illustration. He says, he says the scriptures are like a light in the dark. Uh, that's pretty intuitive for us. Maybe the first thing that came to your mind is, is the, the comfiest chair in your house that has a lamp over it that you read under. You, you know what a lamp does. But I think the image intended is a little bit more dynamic than that. It, it is really saying what scripture is like is like the headlights on your car. That they point the way ahead into the dark to show you the good path to follow. They, they show you the errors to avoid off either side. This is what the scriptures do for us. If you look around and see darkness in our world, as you don't have to look far to see, what Peter wants you to know is that the scriptures are like a light beaming into that darkness. Scripture says this about itself in lots of places, so this is probably not a new concept for you, but an interesting thing that Peter does here is he, he says, until. So the scriptures are like a lamp in a dark place until a certain point, meaning there is a point at which the scriptures won't be like a lamp in a dark place any longer. And, and the day that he talks about, he says, when the new day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts, which is kind of a weird image for us to start thinking about, okay, there's a new day coming. But, but elsewhere in Scripture, the same concept is talked about as well. Uh, Revelation twenty two sixteen. 16, hear, hear the words of Jesus. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. So, so what Peter is saying here is that there's a point at which Jesus will return. This morning star will rise. And because he will light the whole earth, you won't need the lamp any longer. Why, why do you need a lamp when you're sitting in the sun? That, that is the future hope that Peter is pointing his audience ahead to, but is saying that until that point, you still need the scriptures. So, so then for us, scriptures are like the safety equipment that you use when you're learning to ride a bike, when you're teaching someone else to ride a bike. I don't know, uh, maybe it was years ago for you, maybe it was weeks ago for you, uh, we, uh, many of us have learned to ride bikes before. And you know, especially if you're helping a child learn to ride a bike, that you load up the safety equipment early on. Put the helmet on, put the elbow pads on, the knee pads on, training wheels. Kids' bikes come with brakes. Uh, the bike that I learned to ride on had a handle on the back of the seat so that my dad could hold on as he guided me ahead. And you know that early on, kids rely on that safety equipment a lot. They, they need the helmet for when they hit a, hit a root and they flip over the handlebars onto their head. 
You know that they need the, the elbow pads and the knee pads for when they fall and slide on asphalt. You, you know that they rely on the training wheels because they bounce back and forth between the two of them until they learn to balance on their own. And over time, you, you begin to do away with some of that safety equipment. You, you do away with the training wheels when they're bent so far up that they don't touch the ground anyways. When you stop falling and skinning your elbows, you take off the elbow pads. But there are certain safety features you don't move beyond. People in the Tour de France still wear helmets. BMX bikers, mountain bikers still wear helmets. In fact, they often wear bigger helmets with even more body armor than kids do when they're learning. There, there are certain things that we don't move beyond because we will never be perfect cyclists. So too it is with the scriptures. Until Christ comes, we will not be completed. We will not yet be made perfect. And so though our reliance on the scripture changes over time, we no longer need to be taught these valuable truths about who Christ is and what he has come to do. But instead we need to be encouraged by them, reminded by them. We still rely on this light because we still live in dark. We also ought to ask the question, what, what kind of light does scripture shine? What, what is the, the light and the dark contrast clearly when you look at a light shining in the dark? What, what is the light that scripture beams into our world? And, and effectively what it is, is it is the bigger story of how God is restoring his light to the world. See, when you, when you start in the scriptures, you, you read early on that the world wasn't always a world of darkness, but was plunged into darkness by our preference of the dark, our, our rebellion, our rejection of God, the king of light. But we also see that God never intended to leave the world in darkness, but was always intending to restore his light to the world. First, using the nation of Israel. They were to be a light among the nations. But knowing ultimately that they could never remove the darkness from their own hearts, Israel was always pointing ahead to Jesus, the one who would come and be the light of the world. Here's how John 1 talks about that. Jesus, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus is the light of the world, who brings God's light to the world. And scripture also points us ahead to that new day dawning that we await for. And this is how Revelation 21 talks about it, as a, a city which has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb, Jesus himself. So what we see in the scriptures is this light coming into the world by the remarkable work of God in Christ. And if you know we live in a world of darkness, you know how badly we need a light. A number of weeks ago, before all of the mountain passes were obliterated, uh, my father-in-law borrowed my car to uh, make a drive into the Okanagan. We had put our winter tires on a little early. He had to make a last-minute trip, so we borrowed our vehicle to do it. Uh, when, when he came back, my wife and I, we asked him. We were curious. He hadn't driven our car before. We hadn't taken it through a, a snowy mountain pass before. So we asked him, how, how was the drive? And he's like, well, your, your winter tires, great. Did a good job. Uh, seat heater was nice. But your headlights were just terrible. They were so dim. As I was driving home in the snow, blowing around in the dark, I couldn't see more than a few feet in front of my front bumper because your headlights were so bad. 
what Peter is saying, and you know the feeling if you've driven a snowy, winter, windy road in the dark before, is that Christians who want to walk through their Christian life apart from the scriptures are like people who drive the Coquihalla at midnight in the snow with their headlights turned off. That they are in a place of grave danger because the situation we are in requires a light to see the good way forward. I, I think there are basically two reasons why it is that we don't turn to the scriptures with this kind of urgency. Often why, why I don't turn to the scriptures with this kind of urgency. And, and at one level, I think it's because many of us can be pretty easily convinced that living in the darkness isn't that bad. Because we have a lot of comforts available to us. We can get comforts, entertainment, luxuries, all kinds of things delivered to our doorstep, quite literally, at the push of a button. And we can allow ourselves to be so lulled into a sense of false security by those comforts that we fail to recognize the reality of the world around us. That scripture says we do indeed live in darkness. And just because you can watch all the sports or all the movies you want, just because Amazon will deliver things the next day to your house, doesn't mean that we're not in darkness. So we need to be very careful. We need to ask ourselves if we are allowing ourselves to be distracted by the comforts such that we fail to recognize how much we need a light. Is life really good just because we have access to the things we want, or do we still live in a world of darkness? That's, that's one reason why we might not approach the scriptures as this light we so desperately need. And the other is that maybe we turn to other sources of light, which for us would mean turning to, to human wisdom, human innovation, human technology, instead of turning to the revealed word of God in the Bible. And I, I do need to make a clarification, uh, is that at, at some level, in remarkable ways, God works for our good in all kinds of ways through human wisdom, through human technology, through human developments. Those things in and of themselves are not necessarily bad. That is one of the things that we look at as being God's common grace to the world, that he does great things through human innovation. We run into problems, though, when we fail to consider human wisdom and human innovation in light of the standard by which they ought to be measured which is for us the word of God, the wisdom of God. Human wisdom is fallible because humans are fallible. God's word is not because he is not. So why would you turn on the Coca-Cola to a little flashlight when you could turn on the high beams instead? Turn to the word of God. It is for us a lamp in a dark place. So Peter has, has told us about the, the content of the scriptures, how it's all about Jesus He's told us about the function of scriptures, how it's a lamp in a dark place. Now he's going to turn to the source of the scriptures. He's going to tell us that because all of the scriptures are from God, that's why you need all of the scriptures. So let me read verses 20 and 21 with you. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter is engaging basically in some, some brand recognition work here. He, he's writing to people who know and love and want to follow after God. He's writing to a church. 
where, where many people in it were probably like many of the people in this room who, who love God. And because he wants them to turn to the scriptures, he makes it very clear that, that God is the source of the scriptures. They trust the source, so trust the product. This is what companies do. It's why you go for the, the phone with the little Apple product logo on it. It's why you buy the running shoes with a little swoosh or the, the shorts with the three diagonal lines on them. Because you know that these brands are at the forefront, or they claim to be, at the forefront of whatever field they're in. So you trust the product that they put out. How much more ought this be the case with the scriptures? Because we trust the God behind the scriptures. Peter begins making this argument by setting up a contrast, though. You'll note right away. He first tells us what the scriptures are not. He says, uh, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation of things, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. What Peter says very clearly is not people just made up the Bible. They, they looked at the world around them, said maybe these things are true of, of this God that we believe in, so I'm just going to write them down and hope for the best. That, that is not how Peter understands our Scriptures to be. So to make very clear how the, the source of the scriptures is connected to the actual words we have in the scriptures, Peter walks us through the, what we call the inspiration process, the process by which the message God intended for his people became the message that we received. And he says very clearly, uh, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God. The message originates with God. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. So God was part of the, the origination of the message as well as in the communication of the message. The whole process has God's fingerprints all over it. And so we know when we are reading the Bible, we are reading God's word because he was part of that whole process. There are many in the church today though, even, even in the, the MB church, even in churches around us here, who would actually disagree with Peter on this point who would say that, in fact, what we have in the Scriptures, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, are really just people's own interpretations of things. See, see, yes, maybe the writers of the Old Testament had something about God revealed to him. But what, what we have written down is actually just them trying to make sense of it. Just them trying to interpret this, this unclear and difficult revelation, this partial revealing of God that they had. So when we read the Old Testament, we should be pretty careful. Because lots of what's in it is actually misunderstandings of God. And people will say similar things of the New Testament. Well, actually, Jesus left pretty quickly. And he left these apostles to just try and figure out how to jigsaw together a new religious movement. So what we have in the New Testament is just people trying to figure it out. Just people grasping at straws. And what that ends up requiring that we do is, is apply some other lens over the scriptures by which we decide what is and is not good for us. It effectively leads us into this discussion where we look to have our questions answered in the way we want them answered. But that is not how Peter, that is not how God wants you to understand the scriptures. He wants you to know that they come from him. And, and lest, to this point, you think, well, Peter's only been talking about the prophetic word, the Old Testament scriptures at this point. I want you to hear what he does in 2 Peter 3, 16. He's referring here, here to Paul's letters, who is one of the apostles, but not one of the 12 who is even with Jesus. He was a, a later addition to the apostles. Here's how he talks about Paul's writings. 
There are some things in them which are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, catch this, as they do the other scriptures. So Paul, Peter, John, James, those who wrote the New Testament speak with the same authority of God that those who wrote the Old Testament did. So then, just like in the first point where it's all about Jesus, just like in the second where it's all a lamp in a dark place, so too it is here. The scriptures are all from God. And this means that there's no part of scripture that's less relevant, less authoritative, less necessary, less inspired for us today. We need it all because it all comes from God. Uh, Imagine with me, because I'm sure this has never happened, uh, you're running late to church one Sunday morning. You're coming down the the Mary Hill Bypass, and you run a red light as you turn left onto Pitt River Road. There's an officer just waiting for you there for someone late to church to do exactly that. And as as he comes up to your window, you say, officer, I know what I did, but I have three reasons why that red light did not mean that I had to stop. Uh, Number one, I don't want to be late for church. Number two, Jesus doesn't want me to be late for church. Number three, I was going so fast, no one could have possibly hit me anyways. What what is the officer going to do in that moment? Is he going to say, oh yeah, because of those reasons, red light no longer means stop? No. And you you wouldn't even dare make that argument, because you know, if anything, you're just going to get a worse ticket than you might have got away with if you just cooperated and recognized the reality of the situation. But we do this with the Bible where we say, I have these circumstances in my life that God probably didn't foresee. And so the words of the scriptures don't apply to me. And there there is a warning that we need to hear if that is the kind of posture we take towards the Bible, as we all do at some level in some instances. Because what we're effectively doing, if you've agreed with everything I've said to this point, is you're saying, I know that God intends me to have this whole Bible to shape my life following him but I know better than God what I need to know him. And that that is a dangerous statement of self-idolatry where we are putting ourselves in the position that only God ought to occupy. It is a place of grave danger to be because you need all of the scriptures. God knows you need them. That's why he gave them. So so just like there's a warning to, to not approach the Bible incorrectly, there is a great reward to be have when we do approach the Bible. Because it does come from God, what we should expect when we open the pages of our Bibles is to meet God there. The God who created the universe, the God who sustains it by the power of his word, the God who reveals himself fully in the person of Christ, who died in our place to pay for our penalty that we deserve against the God of the universe because we prefer darkness to his light. When you open the scriptures, that is what you find. The good news of who God is and what he has done. You need the whole Bible for your whole Christian life. Uh, January is the time of year where people make commitments and resolutions to read the scriptures. And if your uh, Bible reading trajectory has followed the same one that I'm doing, uh, you're just starting the book of Leviticus pretty soon. Or maybe you're a little ahead of me and you're in the book of Numbers. In any case, there are parts of the scriptures which are not usually easy for us to read. There are parts in them that are difficult, that are hard, that are so foreign to us that we have a hard time wrapping our minds around. But just like I said earlier, you have have people to connect with, to help you in that. And you should expect 
that any time you open the Bible, you're going to find there things that are important for your life as you follow Jesus, because the whole of the scripture is all about Jesus. It shines for us like a lamp in a dark place, and it is all from God, who created you, who loves you, who has saved you in Christ. That, that is my encouragement to you. That is what we ought to take out of Second Peter 1, that we need the whole Bible for the rest of our Christian lives. So, so let me pray for us as I turn back over to Matt to lead us in a time of response. But let's pray first. Father, you are good to us in many ways. And one of the chief ways in which we get to experience your goodness is, is through how you use your word to accomplish your purposes in us. So Father, we're so thankful for, for how the scriptures are all about Christ. How they, how they show us what it is that he has done. How he has died in our place and has been raised to new life such that we might be restored to you and receive eternal life with you forever alongside the rest of your people. Father, we're so thankful for in our world of darkness that we have this light to turn to. And Father, we're so thankful that we have a clear word from you. Help us to, to love your scriptures. Give us rich time in them such that we might grow to love you more and more by it. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, by the Spirit's power. Amen. Amen.